Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you that you rule over all and that you have a plan in place and uh, a plan for justice, a plan to make things right. And we thank you that we can trust you in that. We thank you that you have a promise that even the things that are wrong in our lives, that you use them for good in our lives. And we, we take stock in that and we hold fast to that promise. We praise you for your faithfulness and for your goodness. And as we look at uh, Satan and his fall and him being thrown out of heaven tonight, I just pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would give us guidance and direction and that we'd be aware of his uh, schemes of the enemy, um, but not sucked in by them or not afraid of him. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... uh, we're looking tonight at when is Satan thrown down, and we're going to be, our base passage for is Revelation 12, 1 through 13, um, but to really answer that, we have to kind of go back to uh, the whole scripture, and so we're going to actually trace uh, this through. Um, so there's four views on the throwing down of Satan, Okay. And so we're going to, I'm going to introduce you to these, and then later on we're going to discuss them a little more. So the first view, um, and these aren't in any order of importance, they're just as my brain thought of them and I typed them out. So (laughs) one doesn't mean it's most important. But the first view is the gap view. He was thrown down between Genesis chapter, Genesis verse 1 and verse 2, so that there was some pre- creation period, uh, or a creation made, and then Satan was thrown down, destroyed everything, and then God recreated. And this view, very popular around theistic evolution uh, to explain wh- the age of the earth through a materialistic, theist, uh, uh, materialistic naturalistic worldview. So there's, there's that view. Um, second view is he's thrown down after creation, before the fall of humanity, say this is probably a predominant view. Uh, third view is he's thrown down at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then uh, the fourth view is he is thrown down multiple times. The final time will be into hell, i.e. the lake of fire. So it happens on several occasions. And so we're going to explore these passages and explore like some timelines. Um, in the p- handout you have, those questions, um, Please, as I go through, I don't want to just give all the answers, so just, you know, kind of be reading the question before we read the passage and be watching for the answer so I can get you guys, we can be interacting and having a dialogue about uh, these occurrences, okay? Anybody understand? You with me? Who's asleep? Nobody's asleep. That's good. (laughs) All right, so let's... Take a look at the scripture passages that address this idea of Satan being thrown down uh, from heaven. Um, the first one we're going to look at is Genesis 3, 1 through 7, right? And this is the classic uh, fall passage. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the women, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Right? But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he, he, he deceived her, right? Because um, she looks at the tree that it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, and she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. So he didn't, like, just walk up out of the blue. He's standing there the whole time, not doing what he was called to do, and he willfully chose to eat, right? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, Satan is intricately tied to the fall of humanity. He, therefore, fell or was thrown down, if you want to use that kind of language, before humanity, 
right? Otherwise, he would not be leading humanity into sin, right? Right? So now we know that it's before, after creation, but before the fall of humanity. Well, and there's actually three failures of humanity, but this is one of them, right? And those three rebellions, and I'm not going to get into that tonight, but if you want me to talk about that later, I can. But this is the first spiritual rebellion, right? Now, this is written from a very humanistic side, right? The fo who's the focus of the, the main characters in this plot that we just read? Those three, well, four, God, Adam, and Eve, and then Satan, right? So he would be, so, so but it's written from Adam and Eve's point of view, right? So this would be that first record. So we know from this that there was an early record of a spiritual being falling out of favor, if you would, right, uh, and, and sinning. So let me ask you, where is Satan, i.e., in this passage, the serpent? Where are they? They're in the garden. They're in the garden of Eden. And where is the garden of Eden? On earth. This is important to kind of track with that. It's on earth. It's not in heaven. Now, it's at the, well, heaven and earth in a sense are intermingled, right, in that state. But the location is earth, okay? Terra firma. He said on earth, yes, yeah. So so he's on earth. He, he's on earth. If you read John Melton's novel, it begins with Satan out in space looking down at earth. And, and spying this creation of God and him scheming to plunder it or despoil it, right? Now, John Melton, great uh, poet, great writer, um, but also builds in a lot of myth <laughs> into our, uh, our account of de angels, demons, and Satan. And so not totally biblical, just let you know that. So, but an interesting image at least. Okay, so then the next time we see Satan show up uh, in, uh, in the Old Testament, and th there would be many scholars that would argue that this wasn't, uh, this, could not, this could be just an adversary and not Satan because of the way the Hebrew works. Satan, at, at this time, his name was not personified. Um, but either way, uh, it's still an adversary. Uh, later on, it gets to be the adversary, so we're going to read that back into this text. I don't think that's unjust to the text, um, but we're going to see there that in Job 1, 6, and in Job 2, you get the, both of these chapters have a lot of interaction with Satan. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, and sons of God is not men, but angels, okay, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered said, and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does God, Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that, is, that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, that all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and carried out those actions. Right, And we are all very familiar with the story of Job. So there's a couple of things um, that aren't in my questions that I want to make just notes of. Uh, God restricts Satan. Satan can't do anything without God's permission, right? So, so this is, he's, he's restricted. His minions uh, are restricted. Okay, but first, where was Satan? Well, he was in the throne room, right? And uh, as a uh, council, uh, having a council, uh, uh, like a divine council is what's going on, right? The sons of God are there, God's holding court. So he's in the throne room. And then where had he been? On the earth. So he's moving. We're seeing this picture, right? He, 
so in Genesis, we saw that, uh, well, we assume, we don't know where he was at the be- before, right? I mean, we do because we know the Bible. But if we were just looking at Genesis, he's on the, or now in Job, we see him in heaven and on, and we see him moving back and forth, like he's not bound from one place to the other, right? Okay, so then uh, we turn to Isaiah 14, and these are archetypes. Satan is an archetype for Babylon, and Satan is, an, in the next passage, Satan is an archetype for uh, the king of Tyre, okay? So as an archetype, it's reaching back. So this would be a commentary on that fall in Genesis, or that being thrown down in Genesis, okay? How, how you are fallen from where? Heaven, O da- day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So it's interesting. He's brought down to Sheol, the places of the dead, to the far reaches of the pit. What do we know about pit from our last study and from Revelation? What's another way you say talk about pit? The bottomless pit, the abyss, right? To the far reaches of the abyss, right? So he's brought down to the shore and will be brought down to the abyss. Um, and that's all in Revelation, right? Well, you, as we go through, you're going to see that. And then uh, ultimately his end is in hell. Now we know the place of the dead is not hell, right? Well, I hope we all understand that now, though. Not the same place. Hell is empty. That is correct. Until the, the day of judgment. Then hell will be filled up. So Satan here is an archetype. An archetype means uh, a, a symbol or a model for something that comes later. So he's an archetype for Babylon's sin. Okay, Babylon is exalting itself above God. Right? So where did Satan fall from in the beginning? Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So he fell from the heaven where God dwells. Would be what that is referencing in that context. The third heaven. Yeah. And then uh, where, where is he brought down to? Earth and the place of the dead. So this that passage includes both, down to the ground, which would be earth, and then down to Sheol, which would be the place of the dead. Okay? So then this is sometimes where we get the concept that he is the king or the ruler of the place of the dead, or Hades. And we actually know from Revelation that death and Hades are really the like these rulers of the place of the dead, right? Because they, they ride out as demonic uh, figures. Okay, so then now we're going to turn to Ezekiel, and this is another archetype passage that gives insight into Genesis, okay? Moreover, the word of the Lord, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamonds, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold, you wore your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. So it's like a good, a cool suit that he wears, right? And the day you were what? Created, yeah. You were anointed 
guardian cherub. We've talked about those, right? We know what they look like somewhat, at least what they manifest themselves like, right? I pl- and I placed you, you will, on the holy mountain of God, in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till <laughs> unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian of cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to do to feast their eyes on you. By the multitudes of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought you brought fire out of your from a, so I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to the ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know among you among the peoples will appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Okay. So he's an archetype for the king of Tyre. So this is a lament or a judgment against the king of Tyre, but it's also a reflection back on Satan in the beginning. So where was Satan in the beginning? heaven and in the garden of eden right uh where was he he was cast down from heaven where was he cast to he was cast to earth and then what is his end lake of fire and it's a and in this text it's a dreadful end right right and was he beautiful yeah he and was he made right was he made good yeah yeah but he didn't he forsook that because of what this pride is pretty much the root of this, right? He wanted to be like God. Okay, now we're in Zechariah 3, so we're moving right along here. But Zechariah 3, uh, actually Revelation references uh, Zechariah quite a bit. Uh, Zechariah 4 is, as we know, the four horsemen uh, uh, of the apocalypse. No. The lampstands and the olive trees. My bad. I'm getting my chapters confused. Um, but here in Zechariah 3, we have uh, him showing uh, Zechariah, Joshua, the high priest, who Joshua was the high priest at this time when Zechariah is being written. But he was standing before the angel of the Lord, and, sta- and Satan, standing at his right hand, accused him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this the brand, I, this a brand I plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I clothe you with pure vestments. Okay, so this is... Definitely uh, a message of grace here. So, but where is Satan at? He's standing before the Lord at the right hand of the Lord, right? Of uh, the angel of the Lord. So it's probably a scene in heaven, okay? Uh, what is he doing? Yeah, he's saying, look at this dirty, rotten wretch. He, he does, he, and he definitely... Um, so that will be something that as we go through, is he accusing now? And we'll have to decide that based on the evidence that we see um, uh, where he's accusing, okay? But he's definitely, in this context, in the Old Testament, what? Accusing. He's accusing in Job, right? And then we see him again now, and he's what? Accusing again, right? He's, he's trying to advocate for people's failures, right? Or their success, and how fake it is, right? In Job, he's like, hey, he's only successful because you spoil him, right? 
Here he's saying, <laughs> look at this dirty loser, you know, man, he can't get anything right. He's covered in sin, you know, and God's like, wait, I chose this guy, right? And, and, and clothes him in pure vestments, right? And this is that image, some of that image of we talk about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is where this, this imagery comes from, okay? Does that make sense? So not just borrowing that out of a void, right? Okay, so then John 8, 44, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit in now into the New Testament. And it says, he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, but he says to them, you are the father the de- of, of your father, the devil, and your will is to do the father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of lies. So we learn a lot about his schemes, like he doesn't ever tell you the truth, or he tells you enough truth to get you confused with mixed with um, enough untruth that, to make it believable, right? Everybody know that's the best, best lie to tell, not that I'm giving you any clues on telling good lies, right? Um, <laughs> definitely not the case. But he was a murderer from the beginning, right? And then we have uh, 1 John 3, 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Um, and that's like continued willful practice of sinning. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay. So this would be an analogy, not to the moment he was created, but analogy to the creation account and an allusion to Genesis chapter 3 and maybe a little bit of time before that allusion to Ezekiel 28 where it talks about him being made but then unrighteous entered him, right? So the author knows when he says from the beginning, he's referencing that time period, not not the literal beginning. Does that make sense? So how long was, has Satan been corrupted? Long time, yeah, since, since shortly after his, his creation, right? Yeah, since the sin of pride crept in, he wanted to be like God. That's what we learned from Isaiah. Then that's further conformed in Ezekiel, right? Those archetypes that are there, right? Pride. Um, yeah, and that pride happened at the beginning, shortly after he was created. Now, none of us know how much time actually elapsed between day seven and chapter three of Genesis. We don't know. There's not a timeline. Does that make sense? So there there was some time potentially that had elapsed. We just don't know. We're, We're left ignorant of that. Now then, Jesus is talking, and he says in John 12, 31, now this is the judgment of this world, talking about his death, okay? Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? And the ruler of this world is who? Satan, right. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Speaking of the cross, yes. So where is Satan being cast out of? So we don't really know. The world. Or maybe it's referring to power. He is being deposed by the cross of his power over the world. Right? But that text is not totally clear. Does that make sense? And, may, and it may be more talking about power than about geography. Does that make sense? Luke 10, 17 through 20 says, then the 72, remember he sent the 72 out and he gave them the power over, over Satan and all his devils, 
right? And he gave them the power to heal and, and everything. So they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So that's a parallel phrase, serpents and scorpions. He's not a materialist. He's not talking about literal serpents and scorpions. Serpents and scorpions are types of demo demons or demonic oppression, okay? And over all the power of the enemy. So he's just making a double emphasis on that statement there. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? So, where did Satan, where did he fall from? Pretty clear in this text, heaven, right? Fall like lightning from heaven. Now, we can debate when, right? Was it at the cross? Was it, was he, was he at, ha what did he uh, suffer a defeat? Does that make sense? When all the 72 were going out? That would be like the immediate context. He suffered a defeat, and he was up there <laughs> uh, accusing, you know, in the court of heaven. And the saints came out, and they, they made war on, on, on him, uh, on the demons. And he got kicked out of heaven, right? He fell down, right? So does that, does that image, or, or is it like, you know, Christ is, was in the beginning, right? And he says, I saw, so... In the beginning, he saw Satan fall. So you can take the either way, fits the context, right? Um, but he's talking directly to those guys in the context of them having victory over the demons, right? The spiritual oppression. Okay. So he fell from heaven. What power have we been given? He gave the 72 power. He's given all Christians that power. What power is it? it? It's the power over sin, and it's the power over the spiritual forces of wickedness, right? It's, it's power over any demonic host, any fallen angel in your life. You have the power over it. Now, sometimes we don't exercise the power because we believe the lie. If we continue to be believe the lie that the enemy is telling you, Every time you believe the lie, you hand him the power. That's how it works. But you have the power, but oftentimes we give it away. Okay? We don't have to give it away, but we choose to because it's comfortable or because we're duped. Okay? Does that make sense? And what are we to rejoice in? That our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life that we're saved right? That we've been given the power, that we're saved, we're sanctified, that God is saving us, that he has saved us, that he has called us by a name, right? That's a huge encouragement. Okay, so then Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 says, that since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Right? So here, the cross, Christ's death on the cross, conquered, and what he says, it says it to destroy the devil. Right? So he might destroy the one who has the power of death. So to destroy him, to strip him of his power, and ultimately destroy him, right, in the lake of fire, right? And then Colossians 2, 13 through 15 would, says, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules and authorities and put them to open shame by triumph over them, over them in Jesus, right? So who destroys the devil? Jesus on the cross, right? Is the devil destroyed now? 
Yeah, so that's kind of a tricky thing because that's as he's just, he is, right? Yeah, and so there's a tension that there are people who do believe he's actually destroyed now and all the, the haywire things we see going on is just our own making, okay? Yeah, so he's already destroyed but not yet fully destroyed. This is an already not yet tension in my opinion, yeah. It, it's right, Lynn. It's not over yet, right? There's still a bigger picture. No, that's the finish. That's talking about the total destruction. But he is stripped of his power, right, for the most part, in all life. But if he still has power, if we give it to him, we believe the lie, right? If we believe the lie, then that's like giving him permission to have the power, okay, right, or sinning. And usually when we're sinning, we're believing a lie. We're rationalizing something away so that we sin, right? And that sin is the one that what opens the door for him to have uh, power, okay? So be sober-minded. This means to be vigilant of mind, to be clear-thinking, to be active in mind, right? Sober-minded. You know, when you're drunk, I don't know, many of us probably haven't gotten drunk, and I hope not, but your mind is blurred, right? That's why you get DUIs, right? D driving under them because you're not thinking clearly, right? So he uses this analogy of be sober-minded, have a clear mind, have all your faculties about you, be watchful, so be alert, right? Your adversary, the devil, and what is he here? He's our adversary, right? He's against us, right? He prowls around like a roaring lion sinking someone to devour. So that means he's going around, and it's not him, because just him, but him and his angel, his fallen angels, are going around telling lies, trying to get people to buy into their lie. And this is why the ancient church really rooted all heresies in the act of the devil, or in the act of demons. Read Jude. And just read it through a, a supernatural lens, right, of thinking of angels and demons. Some of the language that Jude uses for the heretics that he's confronting is the same language God uses in judging the fallen angels, right? Because Scripture, I think, teaches that at the root of most heresies and at the root of most pagan re religions is a demon, right? Spouting lies. So he's going around, he wants to devour people, he wants to destroy people, right? But will to be sober-minded, was to be watchful and active, right? So where is Satan now if he's trying to devour humanity? He's here, he's here on earth. He's, and what we can lead, I, I didn't put it in there, but we'll read in other places, he's the prince of the power of the yeah, so that is including earth and the first heaven. That's for you, Franklin. It's he, it, he's the prince of the power of the air, so that's including earth and the first heaven. Uh, that was. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good communicator. Yeah. Him that way? Oh, that he was. Right, right. He was just trying to tell him he was the prince of the power of the airwaves, but wow, that. That's pretty creepy. I would have been backpedaling that introduction. <laughs> if it comes, if his name comes to you later on, Franklin, call me up and tell me because now you've got me curious. I'll have to go do a Google search on who's introduced as the Prince of the Power of the Air. Um, Okay. 
All right, so now we're done with, uh, with uh, the epistles and the gospels, and we're going to jump to the Re- Revelation, you know. Uh, we're going to go to Revelation 12. This is what stimulated this whole question. Okay, so Revelation 12, we're going to read the whole thing, and I'm, I'm going to actually stop and comment. If you have questions or things that, you know, you scratch your head out, stop me, and I'll, I want to address them. Um, but it says, a great sign, so this is, you know, a great image, a sign in heaven, appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars, okay? She was pregnant and was crying out in, in birth pains and the agony of giving birth, okay? And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems, okay? All right. Everybody tracking? Any questions so far? Any pondering? Who's the woman? Let's see if I get what I can do. Got to vote for Israel. Any other votes? I don't have any Catholics in here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so the Catholics would say Mary. Um, reformed people would say the, might even say the church, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that it's Israel uh, giving birth to who? The Messiah, right? Jesus, right? And then Satan is going to try to uh, destroy him. But this is another son. So the woman giving birth, then we have this image of a red dragon, right? And you ever see, you know, in folklore and dragons, what are dragons like? What is smog like? How about that? In Lord, in uh, the Hobbit, the Lord of the Rings. He, well, he's fire breathing, but what is he like? He, what? What? Gold. Yes. And gems, right? What is the description in Ezekiel 28 like? What is it talking about? I read a whole list and couldn't pronounce half of the things, right? But what was it? Gold. Yeah, all set in gold. Isn't that interesting? Ever make that tie? Yeah, they love gold. The dragon horde, right? Yeah. And in video games, you kill the dragon, you get lots of gold, right? Okay. Just thought I'd report that he's a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head has seven diadems, okay? And those, uh, talk, that's talking about his rule and his rule of the earth. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. So swept down a third of And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devoured it. Yeah. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Right? The ascension. Right? Now, I would say, yeah, well, it's, it's the birth and death and ascension of Christ. Right? Because I would say that he, he child that he might devour it. He tried to devour the child. At, at the very beginning, how did he do that? Yeah, Herod, with that degree to kill every baby boy under three years old, right? Or two, two, three years old, I can't remember, right? That was his, so that was that. But do you know that, that Satan uh, is the one that orchestrated, I mean, God allowed him to orchestrate what? What did, what, what did God allow Satan to orchestrate? Yeah, because it says they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they would have known the results. Satan thought that he was winning, that he was devouring the Messiah. Well, but he thought he was winning. He thought, I'll kill God, and that'll take care of it. Shinnecke. Father Shinnecke. Father Shinnecke, okay. And maybe, uh, if there's other ways of knowing, maybe another fellow. All right. Well, I'll have to look him up later. But, but 
Thank you for remembering. Way to call back the memory. So the devouring is the cross, right? And then God, he goes up. Uh, we know that he's going to rule, and God catches him up to his throne. Well, it's Jesus now, right? At the right hand of the throne of God, right? He ascended, right? After he what? Rose, right? Conquering. That resurrection is that nail in the coffin, that validation sticker, the seal saying, I won! <laughs> right? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was, has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. My mathematicians, how long is 1,260 days? Three and a half years. Now, for a futurist, this hasn't happened. Okay? This will happen. For a preterist, this happened in AD 70. Okay? Now, there's some historical uh, jiving to happen that doesn't happen very well for the three and a half year. But there was people who fled, 80, 70, into the wilderness and were taken care of. And the siege of Jerusalem lasted, guess how long, about how long? About three and a half years. It's not exactly three and a half years. Um, yeah. Yeah, the third of the angels that are swept down. I want to try to talk a little bit about the, the timing. And it's actually laid out here in verse 7. Because 1 through 6 is really uh, one scene, and then 7 is an, an expansion or an explanation of 1 through 6. Okay? Because it says, now arose in heaven Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. So that's an interesting statement there, right? So are they now just regulated to here, right? And we would talk about when that happened. You see what I mean? So we see on Job, he's going back and forth, right? We see in Zechariah, he's going back and forth. We see in Luke that he fell from heaven, but we don't have a whole lot of context for that. Here, we see that he fought in heaven, and it seems to be at the cross, to be quite frank with you. And then at the cross, he's thrown down to not return. Three years I don't know if it was three and a half years. Yeah, it's kind of, well, I mean, it would be kind of, I don't know. I guess you could figure that from the date of his baptismal to the date of his crucifixion. And both those dates we have, so somebody could do that math. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent, oh, was that referring to the ancient serpent? Genesis 3, right? This, right? who is called the devil and Satan, just in case you are wondering about who this guy is, right? The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, okay? And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come for the accuser of all brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, right? And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for times, for a time and times and half a time, which is three and a half years. The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the women and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So in these signs, where is Satan thrown down? Well, I didn't hear you. Oh, yeah, I heard you, but nobody else did. <laughs> well, yeah, he's thrown down the earth. When is Satan thrown down? Now, that's, that's kind of a little bit more tricky, isn't it? Right? Now, a classic example of him being thrown down and the war in heaven would be Genesis, right? That's when... Uh, classics, and that's a lot of uh, theology books would teach that, okay? Um, the fall, uh, right before the fall. But there's nowhere in uh, Scripture other than that Revelation 12 that talks about that battle happening. Does that make sense? And the context for Revelation 12, um, I'm going to turn to it on in the paper Bible here, is is really uh, talking about this dialogue of um, the time of Christ, right? So if we go back to just the overview, which is one through six, right? We see uh, in verse four uh, that the scene, we first have in one through Three, one through two, we have the woman introduced, right? We all decide to agree that the woman was Israel giving birth to Jesus, Messiah, right? And, and I think that's pretty clear from the text. So that places this in the lifetime of who? Jesus, right? And, and then, because he's the one that's getting born. Then in verse four, we have, and his tail swept away a third of the stars, which stars typically a reference to angels, which bears out in the next section where it talks about a thought of the angels came down with him, right? So, and he threw them to earth, right? And so, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she gave birth to devour her child, right? And so we have either it's at the birth of Christ, right, that this battle's taking place, because that, that verse 6 is talking about in the same, uh, same two sentences, right? It's he swept a sword down, and he's sitting there ready to eat Jesus, right? Which he attempts to do with the, the killing of the babies. And then he succeeds in the crucifixion, okay? Right? And then if we come down to 7... This is like that commentary. Remember, 1 through 6 is like the overview, and then 7 through 17 is like the detail. This is how it works out, guys. Michael and the, uh, and the angels, Michael the archangel and the angels. Think of Daniel, right? And Daniel's praying, and he's being, uh, Gabriel is being withstood by the prince of Persia, right? And Michael comes and helps him out, right? Helps that Gabriel out. So there's this picture of this cause, uh, supernatural war, right, going on in heaven, right? And that's what it says. There's a war in heaven, and Michael fights with the angels, right? And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old. He was thrown down to earth, right? And then it talks about what? In verse 10, the kingdom and salvation power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ, the Messiah, has come, right? So it's very interesting. This isn't, I don't think, a war that happened back in Genesis, 
I think Satan fell back in Genesis, and he's been causing mischief. And I think there was other spiritual beings that fell in Genesis 6 and uh, that fell in uh, Deuteronomy, no, not Deuteronomy, uh, Genesis uh, Tower of Babel, uh, it's like 9, Genesis 9. Um, and then those, the judge in Psalm 82, and, I, and God talks about them in Deuteronomy 32.8, you know. So, so there are all other spiritual beings, right? That have fallen, that are, but this is like this war in heaven, right? And that's either at, Christ, I mean, by this text uh, in chapter 12, it's either at Christ's birth or at Christ's death, right? Now, he fell multiple times. He's been thrown down multiple times. But here in the text, it has that interesting phrase, um, there was no longer a place found them for another in heaven. In other words, they're kicked off the council, and then it seems to me like maybe they can't go back up there, right? That's cut off. But I don't know that for sure, but that's kind of what that phrase right there reads like, right? So now they're stuck where? Here, yuck, right? But that's part of God's judgment too, right? Because we know from Revelation that God uses bad, evil things and bad people to judge the earth. He uses them as a tool. We know that from uh, the way he used Babylon to discipline uh, Israel, right? So no longer any place for them in heaven. Let's jump here. We're going to go to Revelation 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw, right? So this is threw him into the pit. Remember back in the Old Testament, talking about him being thrown in the pit? That's that pit, the, the bottomless pit, the abyss. And I had somebody draw me an awesome door with the angel opening it. That was Ginger, I think. Good job, Ginger. Um, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended, and after that he might must be released for a little while, right? And then, um, so, where is Satan thrown? Into the abyss, locked up for how long, according to this text? A thousand years, right? And that's where we get... Then it talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ, right? So after the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. That's what Revelation 27.10 says. And will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, right? And they marched over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints. So the surrounding Jerusalem, the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consume them, right? And the devil who deceived them was thrown, thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with a beast and a false prophet war, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So where is Satan's end? The lake of fire, and he has an end, right? Right? Well, a tormented end, right? An end of, of torture for us, right? Yeah. And an end of not being in heaven, right? Now that we've looked at Scripture concerning Satan being thrown down, let's think about the four views that are in the most agreement with Scripture. Let's just kind of go through them, okay? Um, so the four views are views on the throwing down of Satan, the first view. The gap view. He was thrown down between Genesis 1, 1 and verse 2. How does this verse agree? Like if I was to try to make an argument, what and all the passages I just pulled, what ones could I quote, right? Somebody grab eight John eight forty four for me. Or first John three two or three eight, I think.
I think it's 844. What's it say? Right. Good. Okay. So if I want to propagate this view, right, I'm going to have to latch onto that word, the beginning, right? And First John three eight says the same thing. He he he's been sinning from the beginning. And so then, if I want to latch onto that and I want to propagate this view, then I have to interpret that beginning as the very 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 beginning. Does that make sense? And then then I can place him in between. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the deep. And I can place this destruction in between there by the fall of Satan. Now, not a lot of text to agree, right? What's driving this view? What lens is driving this view? A good question, has <laughs> it? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a compromising lens. It's trying to wear a, a materialistic lens and, a, and a, a supernatural lens, but giving emphasis to the materialistic. It's tipping the hat to old earth. They're trying to create space for age, right? And so that's, this is how they try to do it. Not a lot of scriptural support for this, Okay. They're all people that I respect that believe this, but I just don't think that those, there's very little because you're really abusing John's use of the beginning. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's really like, it's, it's they're trying to get along. I mean, a lot of them, they're trying to reconcile the knowledge of science that they've learned in science or what they think is science, right, with the knowledge of the Bible. Okay, um, and materialism, or the the theory of uh, what do we want to say? The worldview of materialism is not compatible with a biblical worldview of a supernatural worldview. They're just not compatible. And when you try to mesh the two, you get crazy ideas like this. Okay, and I just cr called it crazy on the record, but it is kind of it's not biblical. They might be using two Bibles and proposing a theory, but it's not biblical, right? Out of all the passages that we went through, two, right? And those, not very clear, right? Those, in my opinion, are reaching, okay? Okay, so number two, uh, he's thrown down after creation before the fall of humanity, right? Thrown down after creation before the fall of humanity. So how does this view agree? It actually has quite a few proof texts, right? Uh, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 are your biggest, right? And then the text of him being a sinner and a mortal from the beginning, those would both sort as well, wouldn't they? Right? Right. So then you have to have this idea where uh, God is allowing him to come back into the council. So he's thrown out of heaven but allowed to come back. Does that make sense? And, and to re-engage in that council. Right. Well, it definitely wasn't a destruction, right? And, and all of those talk about his destruction, but we all know that his destruction doesn't come until the end, right? So it's a, like a demotion. It is being thrown down. He's thrown out of the presence, but that doesn't mean he can't come back into the presence. Potentially. Now, this view would say, no, he's thrown out. He hasn't been able to go back into the presence. But then, again, like, like uh, Rick said, what, well, ignoring some of the data, right? Job, uh, Zechariah, right? Um, even um, Revelation, where he's been in the presence of God, accusing the brethren, right? Okay? So, why did it do that? Well, it's not one, it's two, <laughs> It says one now, but I don't know. It didn't. Uh, three. He's thrown down at the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So how is this view? Well, that's going to have to ignore the first view, right? That, which is in conflict. But if you're just looking at Revelation chapter 12, 
right? This view is very well supported, right? And then even maybe looking uh, or at, in the time of Jesus, right? You could even bump that bubble. And then you have Luke 10, 18, right? Where it says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? Uh, and then you have the passages like uh, Colossians and Hebrews saying that the cross cast Satan down, right? John 8, 32, right? Says he's going to be cast out, right? Okay. So this one has some validity, but it still has some holes, doesn't it? It's not comprehensive, right? So the final view, and this is where I stand, I'm just going to let you know, is that he's thrown down multiple times, okay? The final time will be in the hell, right? So this view, I think, takes in the accomplishment of, of all of it, right? It takes in Genesis, right? And that fall, that throwing down within the reflection. And don't really know about this as a fall, as a falling down, mainly from the reflection of Isaiah and Ezekiel. Right? Because those archetypes are commentaries on this event. Does that make sense? Right? And then, then we have, uh, he, he's thrown down there, and then, uh, and that takes into the account of the beginning. Does that make sense? Uh, the, the John 8, 44 passage, and the John 3, 8 passage, where he's a sinner, sinning from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. That This view takes into that because he fell there at the beginning. But then it also gives room for him to fall again, right? And so then we have him we going back and doing his adversary job, accusing us. That's the job um, that he's been given, right? So he's back in the presence of God, in the court of God, doing that, right? And then... Uh, we see, you know, if we come to the next falling down would be Luke 10, 18, right? And then that one, I think you could say at that point or even in the past. So either way, it accommodates those falling down of um, him falling down as the 72 are going out and doing their thing or him have falling in the past. It, either way you take that, the, the view still takes both of those because that was either another fall, <laughs> another being thrown out or, or the same one, right? But then you have the passage in Revelation 12, right? And the passage in Revelation 12, I, I think if you're trying to be fair to the text, really does talk about him being thrown down and there being a war in heaven in the lifetime of Jesus, if not at the crucifixion, okay? And, and um, or at his birth. I mean, it's that whole block of time, right? And... And that is where the thought of the angels are fighting against. That's where we get the thought of the angels are fighting against the enemy. Okay. It's not at that time that all thought of those have fallen. I think they've already fallen. They fell back in possibly Genesis, definitely Genesis chapter 6. Uh, and, and Genesis 9. I think the table, the Babel, Tower of Babel. Is that Genesis 9? I think the table of nations is Genesis 10. But anyways, the Tower of Babel. I, I, I can't remember the chapter at the moment. But that's the, so those falling of angels in those three instances, the judge in Psalm 82. So you already have these, this war in heaven just gives you a ballpark on how many of the, these angels are, are sided with Satan. And you could have even more side with them at that point. But it's during the lifetime of Christ. Yeah, they'd feel like they got some stuff, right? Right? Like, oh, he's going to win, right? So then that, that doesn't happen in some cosmic past, but happens within the lifetime of Jesus. And then with that one passage, uh, it says that uh, there was no place for them in heaven uh, anymore. Uh, there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. So uh, in one way, that's encouraging because Satan's not up there potentially accusing us anymore, um, though that doesn't matter because we were covered with the blood of Christ anyways. Um, but then he's on the earth here, right? And it says that 
he's pretty ticked off, right? And he's trying to make everything as miserable as possible. But what is his final end, right? His final end, which would take in this account, is to be thrown. So he's thrown down multiple times, and he's then thrown into the lake of fire, and that's the final time that he's thrown down for all time. So I think Rick was good to bring this up, but how does the concept of already, not yet help us process Satan's status? We all understand the concept of already, not yet, right? Right. Right. So he's given, he has a purview, right, of to do certain things until the coming of Christ, right? which then that's going to be greatly curtailed, right? Right. So it's already, Christ's work is already done, but not yet fully fulfilled, right? Just like I'm a saint, but I'm not yet perfectly holy, right? Uh, I still sin every day, right? Even though I'd like not to, but it still happens, right? And some days, let's be honest, I want to. Right? That's why I end up doing it. So, just in conclusion, we can be aware of the enemy's schemes, right? He's a liar. Right? He's trying to kill and destroy and devour. But we do not need to be, we do not, but not, but not afraid of him. Right? Should we be afraid of the enemy? No. We shouldn't be afraid of him. Now, I think we should respect him as a pa- as a power and evil, right? So there should be a certain amount of respect to that, in the sense of I'm not don't want to mess with that. Does that make sense? But there shouldn't be a terror, like oh my word, he's going to get me, right? Um, for the spirit of God is greater than him every day of the week, right? God is greater than Satan every day of the week, and who lives in you? God lives in you. The spirit of God lives in you. And if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? None. Nobody, right? Christ has died.